I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Welcome back to Vet Sessions. Today, I'm really excited to have Dr. Carol Matthews in the studio with me again. She is here to talk to us about some commonly used oral pain medications that are prescribed for dogs and cats. Outpatient pain medication has come a long way in the, sub- in the last several years. However, I know as a practitioner that there are some misconceptions and inconsistent information about outpatient pain medications. So today, uh, Dr. Matthews is going to focus on gabapentin. So let's get right into it. Tell me a little bit about gabapentin, Dr. Matthews. Well, um, as you know, it's currently used uh, for chronic pain, which is definitely helpful for those patients in chronic pain. And um, I just want to um, remind folks that uh, gabapentin's primary mode of action is as an anticonvulsant, but it also has antinociceptive and antihyperalgesic properties. So while gabapentin has been reported not to be effective where chronic pain is not established, gabapentin has been shown to be effective in certain acute pain situations, especially where there is a neuropathic component. When negative outcomes in some studies have been reported, and this is what we need to look at, uh, the dosing for the problem was too low or the test situation was inappropriate, such as preventing acute rapidly transient pain which is used in the uh, acute thermal experimental models um, that are used to test this. And so this cannot be extrapolated to the lack of efficacy for clinical use. Similarly, as pain is an individual experience, and I really want to emphasize this, Mm -hmm. as is the underlying cause, it is expected that pain experienced from direct involvement of neural tissue is extremely painful requiring a higher dosage of gabapentin initially than recommended for non-neural involvement. That's that's so interesting because I know that there is, um, you know, a a, a dose range. And often I find as a practitioner, I'm I'm just looking at the dose and trying to figure out, you know, for the weight of the dog, what do they fit in so far as the capsule or (laughs) the formulation, but calculating it sounds very important in this case. Yes, and there are some examples. For instance, a study of post-limb amputation in dogs, and you know you have to mm-hmm. cut nerves for that one, right. showed no benefit with a dose of gabapentin at 5 milligrams per kilogram every 12 hours for three days. Another canine study examining efficacy of gabapentin at 10 milligrams per kilo every 12 hours, and this was added to an opioid post-interfedibal disc surgery, reported no detectable reduction in pain behavior compared to the control group Mm -hmm. receiving opioid analgesia alone, although a trend to lower pain levels was present. So in that situation, a higher dose would have been more More appropriate. Right. So what is important with prescribing gabapentin, and this is what we're alluding to, is the need for individual dosing based on the underlying cause of pain. Also, the dosing and frequency must be increased for neuropathic pain-associated conditions. So what we would use, let's say, for osteoarthritis um, would not be adequate enough if there's a neuropathic component involved. However, there are studies indicating that perioperative administration of gabapentin to animals with nerve injury may reduce the potential establishment of or ongoing neuropathic pain. 
It's been my observation that gabapentin has reduced the pain in dogs and cats suffering from refractory neuropathic pain secondary to cervical or thoracolumbar intervertebral disc disease or pelvic trauma post-op. So initially, gabapentin is administered in combination with an opioid and a non-steroidal, but gradually these analgesics may be tapered and gabapentin remains as a sole method of analgesia. And I recall one case that had um, intervertebral disc disease, had surgery, but there was still some disc left that they couldn't access, and this dog was still in a fair bit of pain, and so the gabapentin was given, and he needed that for four or five months. But it worked, and gradual, gradual reduction, and at that time he was pain-free. The other drugs had been discontinued, right. but we continued with the gabapentin. And that's such an interesting point because I know uh, myself uh, working in uh, with, with sports uh, medicine and potentially with um, canine rehabilitation is that, you know, I always talk to the students about the art of the medicine and you yes. know, you've got all these doses and, and you've got this multimodal pain, you know, management and you've got multiple drugs and it's trying to figure out which one do you discontinue first so that that's a really great pointer and very interesting because in some ways I I, I guess I would have intuitively thought that you'd continue the NSAID and so interesting that the gabapentin uh, particularly for IVDD and we certainly see a lot of those cases well I think be more important yeah because it has a a neurologic component to it and also when you look at patients that may have some renal insufficiency for example or whatever and you would like to stop the non-steroidal then certainly consider that you can continue with the gabapentin because by this time those sedating effects should be gone worn off right yes excellent um so along those lines that you know there is an extremely wide dose range for gabapentin and it should be given to effect the dose limiting side effect is usually sedation which when you're in the hospital uh, may be beneficial true true enough so the terminal half-life of gabapentin in dogs is three to four hours and in cats about three hours In general, to maintain therapeutic levels, dosing every eight hours is required to confer efficacy. A dosage of 10 to 20 milligrams per kilo every eight hours maintains targeted concentrations in dogs and cats. However, as we've mentioned several times, as analgesics are given to effect and to avoid the potential sedative effects at higher dosages, gabapentin's dose will depend on the individual's requirement and should be based on this. For some musculoskeletal injuries or illness in dogs and cats, recommendations for a dose range is 10 mg per kick every 8 to 12 hours. So, increase or decrease as determined by hospital stay and requirements at home. The high dosages should be titrated up gradually as the higher dosages are rarely required. Interesting. So, just to let you know, reported anecdotal range is 3 to 14 milligrams per kilogram wow. every 8 to 12 hours. So you can see this animal is much, much more painful than that one, requiring higher right. dosages. But just as a comparison with respect to dosing, um, anti-seizure doses are 20 to 30 milligrams per kilo um, every 8 to 12 hours. So, um, you know, you get an idea there of the um, dose ranges. Um, Now, what's been stated is that dietary macronutrient composition, such as a protein, may favorably influence gabapentin oral absorption. So giving with a bit of food, even if you 
use it, put it in the mouth yourself, right. maybe follow with a bit of food might help with absorption. Oh, interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. So that's, uh, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, so um, I have made a few inquiries mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, just to see what people do. So based on anecdotal evidence for long-term chronic pain, start, um, well, at cats and dogs, start at 10 milligrams and then that's 10 milligrams per kilo, okay. sorry. Some studies suggest to start with five milligrams per kilo in cats, especially the frail ones, and do this in the evening for about five days to facilitate your observation of the patient, give it an adjustment period, and to reduce potential side effects. Then continue at every 12 hours at a lower, same, or higher dose as needed. Some cats may require 20 mg per kg, and rarely up to 40 mg per kg if severe hyperesthesia and degenerative joint disease exist. That, that's interesting, you know, because even in my own uh, older cat um, who was 15, uh, we actually did use some um, gabapentin more from uh, the perspective of uh, a sedative. And so sometimes what we'll do is we'll prescribe uh, gabapentin prior to blood collection or a visit to the veterinary hospital. And what I did find is I, I actually gave him the 10 milligrams per kilogram and him being sort of an older and, and, and frail individual, although he was healthy at the time, um, he was really kind of zonked out for a couple of days on that. So yeah so definitely adjusting and knowing your patient and their age and their condition is going to be really important and particularly because we were using it more for the sedative quality than the pain perspective so yes and we'll discuss that a little bit after the uh, analgesic discussion excellent so another study in dogs of 240 dogs taking gabapentin for chronic pain and systematically assessed the range of tolerated gabapentin doses was from seven to 500 milligrams per kilo per day. Wow. I know, <laughs> I couldn't, 500 wow. milligrams per kilo every 12 hours. And only 10% of patients experience the most common side effect of sedation. Interesting. Yeah, so gabapentin is a well-tolerated and safe analgesic over a wide range of doses. However, this is the only report of such a wide range and high dose that I could find. So yeah. I don't know that I would go to 500 milligrams Yeah, but I mean, it's kilo. good to know that we won't overdose them, I suppose. That's right. So as they say, start low and go slow. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so um, with regard to assessment, frequently some animals need several weeks to months uh, for resolution of their pain and potentially requiring a lifetime of medication. But careful lowering of the drug dosage is recommended to assess the dosing requirement. Initially, if administered every eight hours, eliminating the middle dose in the daily treatment regimen is suggested to assess the ongoing requirement. Now, because dosing to effect is the method by which the appropriate dose is selected, once this effect is reached, treatment twice daily rather than three times daily may suffice. But remember... Tapering of the dose is important because stopping the drug abruptly may lead to rebound pain that may be severe. That's that's really interesting. And I know I'm um, talking to the students. That's always the question is, you know, you can read in the pharmacology textbook, you know, the dose and the frequency. But how do you taper and how slow should you taper? And so eliminating the middle middle day dose sounds very intuitive to start. Yes. Yeah. But take it slow. That's right. Yeah. So when considering dosing. Um, Another thing to consider is that gabapentin has a high renal elimination with up to 65% being eliminated unchanged in the urine. So this can result in higher than expected plasma concentrations in patients with acute kidney injury or chronic kidney disease. 
Dose reductions are required to avoid adverse effects. Monitoring is very important in these patients. Gabapentin also undergoes some biotransformation in the liver in dogs. Now, with a relative half-life of 3.3 half hours and low biotransformation contribute to its low to nil rate of hepatotoxicity in dogs. In humans, signs of liver disease have been rarely associated with gabapentin and complete recovery is expected. Therefore, it is considered safe to use in patients with liver disease. That's uh, that's really good to know because because uh, I know it's always uh, you know as these animals get older and potentially have more pain associated with chronic conditions, it's always trying to figure out you know what do we do with those that either have liver or kidney compromise. So yeah, yes, so that's very right. interesting. Um, unfortunately, there's no specific information available related to using cats with liver disease. However, long term continuous use for up to three to five months, followed by intermittent use for an additional two to twelve months in these three separate cat cases with musculoskeletal trauma did not result in any hepatic side effects. Interesting. So likely it would be okay with those as well. But periodic checks would be good just to confirm. And then with experience, then you get to learn that, okay, it's safe here. It's safe, right. Other conditions we um, need to look at would be the cardiac effects. Now, gabapentin has no known cardiac effects, but dose reduction may be necessary if decreased cardiac output has caused secondary renal or hepatic insufficiency, and we know that that can happen, as the drug depends on both organs for elimination, at least in dogs. Although there are no studies in veterinary medicine, gabapentin did not cause or exacerbate cardiovascular adverse events in human patients with cardiovascular disease. And interestingly enough, um, what they found was perioperative use of gabapentin was shown to improve cardiovascular stability in wow. the human patients and those with some comorbidities that impact cardiovascular function, like diabetic peripheral neuropathy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so sedation was a common effect of gabapentin administration and ataxia, hypersalivation, and vomiting were also reported. All effects resolved within eight hours after gabapentin administration. However, I would just like to sort of emphasize again that follow-up assessment is essential to ensure it is effective and to manage the dose to avoid um, adverse effects. Right, absolutely. Um, So gabapentin itself sounds like a very interesting drug, and there are uh, quite a few studies out there, too, uh, particularly in humans, but also now uh, in dogs, hopefully more more coming up in cats. I I think one reason why we like it as general practitioners is because we can use it on an outpatient um, basis, and I think that's always been the challenging things uh, with regards to pain medications is, you know, what, what do we have available and what can we administer? And the nice thing about gabapentin is that it's fairly inexpensive, um, and they're, uh, it's very available at the human pharmacy or, or potentially at the veterinary uh, pharmacy, veterinary clinic. Um, and um, there's, you know, 100 milligram capsules, 300 milligram capsules. And so it's easy to kind of, like you were saying, with the dose range, you can kind of, um, you know, play with it a bit to make sure that you've got the correct dosing. So it's, it's been nice from the perspective that it's pretty easy to, to administer. Yes. Yeah. So, so tell me, what, what conditions should gabapentin be considered And in which situations would gabapentin not be a good choice? Okay, well, to start with where gabapentin may be beneficial um, with appropriate dosage uh, regimens applied, um, 
A common one would be osteoarthritic pain not managed with a non-steroidal or, you know, added with an opioid, for example. So now what am I going to do? Right. So we know that multimodal analgesia is, um, you know, a good plan. So gabapentin dosed initially at uh, 10 milligrams per kilo evenings and adjusted according to response for 12-hour dosing would be, uh, you know, good patients to apply that to. Um, Also, there was a report um, on um, Cavalier King Charles Spaniels with syringomyelia, and we know how painful that is because of the neurologic component. So the case report of pain management was with prednisone, which is usually applied at half a milligram per kilo every 12 hours, and gabapentin at 10 milligrams per kilo every 8 hours. And at one to three month recheck, um, they were tapered off prednisone and remained on gabapentin, and it it worked for them. Yeah. Um, long-term use of gabapentin at an average dose of six and a half milligrams per kilo every 12 hours as part of an analgesia regimen or as sole medication for musculoskeletal pain or head trauma in three cats with clinical signs suggested of pain such as aggression, avoiding human interaction and loss of appetite were observed to decrease with the gabapentin. The owners of all cats indicated that satisfactory pain management was achieved and long-term follow-up gabapentin administered was easy and no obvious side effects during the period of administration occurred. And uh, so later on, I'm going to talk about these behavioral problems, which may be due to pain, which we haven't been able to diagnose. Right. So another report of cats older than 10 years uh, with osteoarthritis receiving gabapentin at 10 milligrams per kilo every 12 hours for two weeks resulted in improvement in owner-identified impaired activities, but activity levels were lower than those previous to treatment. And that was because of the sedation that was most common uh, with these uh, older cats. There was some ataxia weakness and muscle tremors as well. But those would be sort of uh, some individual signs and dosages could then be uh, adjusted. Right. Now, I did communicate with Dr. Um, Kelly St. Denise because she is a cat specialist and she also uses it for dental pain in I have cats. Se- yeah, I have seen that, which is really interesting. I always um, yeah, w- wondered, you know, if, if that was a, a good choice. And and uh, yeah, so tell me tell me some more about well, that. Well, she gives gabapentin uh, prior to surgery. OK. Um, and then after surgery, um, she will use a 72-hour sustained release buprenorphine, a non-steroidal and gabapentin, and sends them home on this if the owner can medicate right, all of right. them. <laughs> but anyway, she finds that that helps for the dental component, and we know how cats end up with dental problems as they age. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. And, you know, I have seen, um, particularly, you know, you'll see documents come back from some of the uh, dental specialists, and I'm always trying to, to, to learn when I see, uh, you know, discharge statements from specialists. And I have started to see a trend of gabapentin being used post-operative for dog and cat um, dental uh, pain, which I always thought was kind of interesting because typically, um, you know, again, we do, if we do extractions, we'll have a local block and, and uh, NSAIDs and, you know, plus or minus something like buprenorphine. Because again, we have to have something that we can administer on 
on an outpatient basis and the buprenorphine is a slow release three day um, but then it's sort of like is that enough and so gabapentin would, would sound interesting especially because of you know the, the the nerve root pain that you would get from teeth right so, exactly and you're yeah. drilling away and yanking out and stuff so the nerve involvement is definitely there exactly yeah. and, and then her giving the um, gabapentin prior to surgery you know again it's got that little bit of set <laughs> you know yes. that sedation quality to it which isn't a bad thing particularly for cats that's so. right yes. interesting that's really neat especially with the older cats they're the ones that tend to get the dental problems exactly so this might be a good idea um other veterinary studies uh, indicate that um, perioperative administration of gabapentin to animals with nerve injury and this will, these will be good candidates may reduce the potential establishment of or ongoing neuropathic pain and it's been my observation that gabapentin has reduced the pain in dogs and cats suffering from refractory neuropathic pain secondary to the cervical or thoracolumbar intervertebral disc disease or pelvic trauma and we've had you know, I mean, over the years, sort of hundreds of these patients in our ICU. So I have been able yes. to see that, you know, how they handle this drug. So initially, gabapentin is administered in combination with an opioid and a non-steroidal, but gradually these analgesics may be tapered and gabapentin remain as a sole method of analgesia with gradual reduction as the chronic pain subsides. So dose-limiting side effect, um, as we know, is usually sedation, which, while they're in hospital, from my perspective anyway, may be beneficial. Right, (laughs) of course, yeah. So overall, I would say that various neuropathic painful conditions would be um, good ones for, yes, gabapentin, uh, addition to whatever else you may have. Okay. Um, Now, I also spoke with... Dr. Saint-Denis, um, with respect to, um, um, you know, other situations. And she says that the chronic pain associated with feline onychectomy appears to be responsive to high dosages of gabapentin. And I really hope that the declaw ban goes through because these yeah. poor animals suffer for the rest of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so perioperative, in addition to an opioid, plus or minus a non-steroidal, where neural tissue is involved, any surgical procedure involving the peripheral or central nervous system, or chronic pain, hyperalgesia is established prior to surgery. These will be good candidates good for gabapentin. Right. Now, I have had a, a few cases, and I'm talking about over the many years, <laughs> Following cardiopulmonary arrest or seizures, now these are obviously, you know, serious seizures because they end up in my ICU, for animals that are extremely restless, disorientated, vocalizing, and or actually can be manic, I found that gabapentin useful in treating these patients. So dosing to effect and resolution of these signs is the goal. So again, sedation in this instance is appropriate, but again, remember, careful lowering of the drug is recommended. And, and that's such a, a, a great thought um, regarding the sedation. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a bonus in some situations, right, where we're kind of hitting that pain pathway, but also potentially there are some some situations. Like I know, uh, again, getting back to, you know, post-op back, post-op TPLO, um, you know, um, uh, animals that are, are, you know, going home after surgery, um, it's not just about the pain, but it's also trying to manage these pets at home so that they're not um, too energetic and moving around too much when, you know, they 
we've been sent home with exercise restriction, um, you know, information from their practitioner. So the um, the sedative quality, you know, is a, is a good thing in some cases. Yes. Now, now when you said um, careful lowering, what would be a, a decent guideline? So if you're, you know, again, uh, would it make sense that if you were, um, you know, three times a day, then maybe for a week you go to twice a day and then maybe a week once a day? Um, is, is, does that sound reasonable or what, what do you think? And I know there's no perfect scenario for that, but yeah, but I, this question. if they're totally symptom free, right. then I would also lower those other two doses. You can eliminate the middle one, okay. but then lower morning and evening. And okay. if there's no concern with that, then leave them on that for a few days and then lower that again, again. if okay. you know what I mean. Okay. So always looking at the patient to see what they look like and then either tapering or lowering the dose, uh, yes. either the frequency or the quantity. Yeah. And I'd probably say when you're lowering and you want to observe them and you're not there during the day, right? then um, lower the evening dose because okay. if they wake up crying in the night, you're there to help them. Okay. Uh, but in the morning, you know, when they're crying, when you're not there. So I would say, let's see what happens. And then on the weekend, of course, you're home and you can you know, have a look. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It all depends on your, obviously, on your lifestyle as well. Sure, best, when, you're, when you're around. Yep. Yes, when you're around will be best. Right. Yeah. Um, now, in human patients, where the most benefit appears to be is where chronic pain is present, and for those with severe pain and high opioid requirements. So we know that this then adding gabapentin is an appropriate use for an adjunctive analgesic. So, okay. you know, you can lower the opioid dose kind Great. of thing. That's good. And also in humans, uh, it's well-established role in the treatment of chronic pain, in particular for neuropathic pain of all causes, and interestingly enough, for diabetic neuropathy and cancer pain. So, you know, we think about osteoarthritis as a chronic pain in our patients, but what about the other pains associated? So, right. you know, if you have a diabetic that appears to be different, you know, maybe it's pain, right. or if they are undergoing cancer treatment and... Uh, you know, they're painful during that period because the cancer is still there. Maybe think about adding a little gabapentin. gabapentin. Yeah, those are, are great, great places to try that. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, we talked previously about, you know, sedating cats um, or dogs, even, but usually cats are the problem, right? Getting in the cage and going in the car. Yes. So um, anyway, there are some at-home sedation options And uh, interestingly, owners' perception of stressing their cats is a primary reason for failing to seek veterinary care. So it isn't just a matter of sedating the cat. It's an important move to get them to the clinic. Right. So uh, one report was um, a comment actually from a veterinarian that um, she had one patient who needed 400 milligrams pre-visit for anxiety, and this cat weighed six kilos. Oh, my gosh. When I tr- she said when I tried to lower the dose, it didn't work. That's, so, that's pretty impressive because I would say that the you know average five-kilo, six-kilo cat, we're probably prescribing you know 100 milligrams. And uh, so that's that's pretty good. Yes, that is uh, that is resilient cat recommended. But I guess we this just yeah, points just out was. that there are differences. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. absolutely. So um, a report that I read um, does agree with that. Gabapentin, fifty to one hundred milligrams per cat, okay. or one hundred and fifty milligrams if it's a big cat, uh-huh. uh, 
But for petite or geriatric cats, reduce the dose to 50 milligrams per cat and give it to them about two to three hours before arrival at the clinic. So sprinkle the gabapentin powder on a tablespoon of wet food and add flavor enhancers such as pre-hospital 40 flora tuna juice, something like that. that. So the author of this um, article uh, stated, I do not have reservations about having a feline patient eat one tablespoon of wet food several hours prior to an anesthetic event. A potential concern is hypersalivation and vomiting. So if a surgical procedure is planned, scheduling for an afternoon appointment is recommended in this setting. You know, veterinarians uh, doing um, anesthesia um, feel that a small amount of food to give with meds prior to anesthesia isn't a problem. And we'd rather have the calming that the gabapentin provides than worry about a little food in the stomach. Calm pets are safer to anesthetize, so the current advice from most of us is to definitely use a little treat to get the meds in and then approach the patient like any other patient that has eaten. So um, when you get to the clinic, if needed, in the morning, you can give an additional dose as early before travel as possible. So the sedative dose, usually greater than 20 milligrams per kilo, is higher than the analgesic dose of gabapentin of 5 to 10 mg per keg or 25 to 50 milligrams per cat twice a day. Now, cats will be ataxic and slow, but overtly sedate on this dose. The author of this section commented that the use of pre-hospital gabapentin has been the single most effective tool for reducing fear and anxiety in healthy cats uh, that they have used. So prepare owners for the sedative effects lingering for about 12 hours and will continue to woozy behavior risk of falling after the cat has returned home. So inform them no stairs, no jumping for cats on the sedative doses of gabapentin. So gabapentin has analgesic effect in cats, as we know, and reducing pain may be one of the ways it helps to reduce fear. But just to keep in mind that gabapentin does not replace in-clinic sedation or pre-medication protocols, so you still have to apply those. Now, just to point out that the effect of oral administration on gabapentin on the minimum alveolar concentration of isoflurane in dogs uh, showed that a dose of 20 milligrams per kilo, two hours before anesthesia, maintained with isoflurane had a max sparing effect with no effect on hemodynamic variables or vital parameters of dogs. But remember that gabapentin does not replace in-clinic sedation pre-medication protocols. So there's no fear of any negative effects on isoflurane anesthesia. Yeah, and you know, an interesting tidbit that I learned about gabapentin is that, you know, you you have a, a dog that needs to come into the clinic potentially to take its blood pressure. And then invariably, if the dog is stressed or anxious and the blood pressure is high, and then you're, you know, as a practitioner, you're trying to determine, do they actually have high blood pressure or is it just that they're really, really anxious? And so one of the uh, anesthesiologists actually had said, uh, you can actually give gabapentin uh, two hours prior to that visit, um, go ahead and take the blood pressure and it does not interact um, or change the, um, uh, you know, like you said, the hemodynamic stability of those parameters. So it's kind of a, a nice tool in that you can actually assess blood pressure properly, uh, but you do have to give it a couple hours before. So not just a half hour, you know, and drive on over to the clinic and the dog's still anxious. So, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, so that's been a good use of that. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually um, talking about 
cats and dogs behavior there are problem behaviors you yes. know and uh, we enough. we see that as veterinarians where it asks what can i do what can i do things mm-hmm. like that and we don't always consider that maybe pain is the cause of this problem behavior true so um what uh, this study reported was that because there's a potential role of pain in problem behavior um, it's difficult to present definitive evidence concerning the breadth of the problem given the individuality of problem behavior. Um, a study reported the scale and the nature of the issue, noting the prevalence in recent years ranging from 28 to 82 percent, and many of these conditions can be suspected from close observation of the patient. While the actual mechanism underpinning the association between pain and problem behavior may never be known in a given case, it is suggested that the relationship between the problem behavior and pain can be classified into one of four categories. Presenting complaint is a direct manifestation of pain. Unidentified pain is underpinning secondary concerns within the initial behavior problem. There's an exacerbation of one or more signs of problem behavior as a result of pain. Or it could be adjunctive behavioral signs that are associated with pain. So it was included that in general, it's better for veterinarians to treat suspected pain first rather than consider its significance only when the animal does not respond to behavior therapy. And a cat case uh, where behavior was a problem and uh, the cat was radiographed to rule out any uh, abnormalities going on in, you know, sort of uroliths and things like that. And uh, but what they found was there were some arthritic changes in the thoracolumbar spine and the cat was treated with over the counter joint supplements and gabapentin at ten and a half milligrams per kilo every 12 hours. After six months with no incidence of aggression or elimination outside the box, gabapentin was reduced to just over five milligrams per kilo. At the lower dose, the signs of fear, elimination outside of the box and aggression returned. The, yeah, the gabapentin was increased and maintained at 10.5 milligrams per kilo every 12 hours, and the patient has since been without behavioral incidents for a period of 18 months. Wow, so that really shows how important it is to titrate the right dose for the you know the, the patient. You have to look at the patient and see, see how they... Absolutely. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and also to consider what are these uh, behavioral abnormalities and, and what triggers it and things like that, and could it be pain that we haven't been able to identify? For sure, and, and pets are so good at, at hiding pain. It's not oh, yeah. always easy for us to detect. <laughs> yeah, you wish they could just tell us. That's right, yeah. <laughs> That's why our job is so difficult at times. That's right. Yes. Interesting. So gabapentin, um, when is it contraindicated then? Well, um, I haven't read anywhere uh, except maybe um, frail patients where the set of effects may result in falling. Okay. Uh, In kidney compromised patients where close monitoring may not be possible to avoid excessive blood levels. Interesting. Um, So... You know, nowhere else have I found any reason why. Um, so if you have a patient with these two problems, maybe warn the owners. Um, and if they're very old and frail and it's absolutely essential, then I would just say it's got to be a really low dose and yeah. see how, because they obviously can't manage under normal conditions. So adding a sedative may 
cause, you know, other safety issues. Absolutely. So on, on the whole, it looks to be a fairly safe drug with a wide dose margin. And again, using it more for chronic neuropathic type of conditions and perhaps, you know, sedation prior to surgery or after surgery. So I think the neurologic condition is very important. And giving it pre and post, even if they don't exhibit that sort of pain, it's best to prevent than it is to, you know, wait for it to become really hyperalgesic before you start treating, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. So, I mean, gabapentin has been uh, a fantastic drug. We're so happy that it uh, is available to our veterinary patients, particularly on an outpatient basis, because I think that's where it becomes very difficult is what do we have available? Um, and with the um, due diligence of trying to decrease the prescriptions of opioids, um, you know, to, to clients, it's trying to look for alternatives and NSAIDs aren't always enough. So, um, so certainly gabapentin looks like it's very promising and that there's a lot of good information. And again, it being fairly inexpensive, it's um, a good drug to to consider and I think it might also wipe out the negative experience of going to the clinic. <laughs> sure. Well, and, and and that's that's a good thing, right? And I think in this day and age, I mean, I know here at OVC, we're fear-free clinic. And so we really try to make it a, a positive experience uh, for everybody, including myself. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, it's no fun, uh, you know, seeing an animal that's just so scared or frightened and aggressive. And that's not good for everybody. So we can make them more comfortable. And and uh, that's a, a great thing for, uh, for everybody, right? So. Yes. Yeah, excellent. Well, um, one thing that I've noticed is that uh, clients often find gabapentin initially to be quite sedating, which you commented. Um, So again, we instruct clients to start giving the gabapentin once daily in the evening before bedtime until the pet gets used to it. Uh, And then after one to two weeks, the client can increase the dose to every eight to 12 hours. Um, How long should we wait before we can say that gabapentin is working or helping with pain control? Because I think that's like with some drugs that we know that they work immediately and with gabapentin, you know, I I do find we're trying to push the clients through and saying, I know it's a bit sedating, but keep going. Um, How long do you think we should wait? Yeah, I don't know the answer to this question. Um, And uh, the duration is patient specific based on the underlying problem and level of pain. However, uh, one to two weeks may be required for the patient to adjust to it, to see a reduction in potential side effects, and assess for improvement indicating analgesic success. Uh, Anecdotal reports have noted that side effects may last one to four weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. So it depends, again, on the individual patient. Uh, And, you know, the pain that an individual is experienced is so different from this one and this one. Right. So I think to have a a flat answer is not possible because of the degree of pain, the neurologic component. um, It's so hard. But I I think as long as the, the owner appreciates the fact that this particular drug will help, but we know need to know. Right. You know, it's like, how cold are you? How warm are you? Right. You know, it depends on the situation. It depends on the individual, you know. So um, if I put a hot blanket on you and you're warm, like, ooh, you right. know, if I put a cold right. one on and you're cool, it's not good. Right. So pain is like that. Um, you know, it's not the same for everybody. And, and maybe that's the key is communicating that to clients and making them understand that, you know, this the, the dose that we're prescribing your pet may not be the same for everyone and that we do have to uh, work through it. And again, getting back to the art of the science and saying, look, it, pain is very individual and we need to, uh, you know, as a team assess this and, and figure this out together. And the other thing is, too, when you consider the elimination aspects, you know, right. 
you know, a polyuric patient, you know, may need it more often or right. some slight kidney injury may not need it as much. And, you know, there's so many variables. And especially when we're dealing with older patients, we need to think about those kinds of things. Um, so as a final comment to this, I would say that at dosing requirements at very high levels, I would suggest that if reaching the point where excessive sedation or other adverse effects occur, but there's no or little relief based on owner and veterinarian's assessment compared to the original examination of painful areas and triggers, gabapentin is not effective. Okay. So if there is some improvement, but still not adequately managed, add a non-steroidal if they're not already on it. And currently, I'd just like to comment that uh, Health Canada is investigating a cannabidiol health product for dogs, and this may potentially be helpful in managing chronic pain. Well, that sounds like a, a good segue to another podcast in the future. So <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, so many interesting areas uh, to think about uh, when I think about when, you know, I graduated 20 years ago and what options there were from a pain control perspective. And again, getting back to the outpatient perspective, because we could always use opioids in clinic, um, but some of these opioids are, are not uh, user-friendly at home because are either injectable or whatnot. So it's always been a bit of a struggle trying to find out, you know, how do we manage uh, chronic, you know, chronic pain, whether it be osteoarthritis or or neuropathic pain? And so I think gabapentin is a fantastic uh, drug, and it's a great one to consider, and it appears to be fairly safe in in most instances. And also, you know, as veterinarians, um, euthanasia is on the table, yes. and um, that is a very very sad thing for us to have to do. And when you have a patient in chronic pain and it upsets the owners so much and this is what they request, yeah. it's hard on everybody. So if we can find another analgesic that can help and if gabapentin added to what they've already got can help, then it's actually saving lives. For sure. For sure. I, I, I totally agree. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Carol Matthews. It's been so fantastic to have you here today. Um, so much uh, research on gabapentin more than I knew, and I always learn something new, uh, and I certainly did today. Uh, thank you to all those for coming to listen to us today on Vet Sessions. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. You can follow us on Instagram at Vet Sessions. If you want to send us a message or if you have an idea for a good podcast, please email us vetsessions at hotmail.com. See you next time.